Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Volume. What's up, guys? It's Jason from Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel. Football season is here, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. It's my favorite sports gambling app out there. It's safe secure, and easy to use. They have exclusive offers, tons of ways to play like spread and money line, over-unders, team totals, same game parlays where you can combine multiple bets from the same game. My favorite feature is that cash out feature. So if you already feel pretty good about your bet and you're in good shape, but you don't want to lose whatever it is based on some stupid thing with garbage time at the end, you can cash out your winnings before the end of the game. Use promo code Jason T and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this football season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are almost to the weekend, continuing our power rankings with number 10 today, and then number 9 tomorrow, and then into the next week, we will hit the final 8 over the course of the next couple weeks, and then starting September 30th, we're right back into game breakdown, something I'm very, very excited for. You guys know the drill before we get started. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. And if you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can get, you can get them in audio form wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. So we are in a tier, a tier that I've called the puncher's chance tier, the tier of teams that I don't quite think have as much talent as the best teams in the league, but they have these wild cards, these players that have such big upsides that if they were to get hot for one reason or another, they could carry their team to the ultimate goal. They're long shots, but they absolutely have a chance, like the Lakers with LeBron James and AD, the Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant, and at number 10, the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler. Now, there's you got to factor in this offseason when we're projecting forward, not just looking at what the team was last year. Memphis, for instance, lost in the second round of the playoffs in six games to the eventual champion and had the second best record in basketball. So your gut tells you automatic top eight, right? But I'm looking at that and I'm going, what was their biggest weakness? Well, it was shot creation and ball handling. Did they get any better on that front? No, I'd argue they got worse because they lost to Anthony Melton, who's probably their best bench shot creator in all likelihood. Um, uh, so when you look at that situation and you factor in the Jaron Jackson injury, I have to move them down on my list. And so they fell back to number 10. Also, I'm factoring in ultimate playoff ceiling, and I think their lack of shot creation makes it extremely difficult for them to eventually get the trophy. After jaw, they just don't have enough. Moving forward to the Miami Heat, it's very similar. You know, this is a Miami Heat team that had a weakness in shot creation. Did they address it? No, they did not. Did they get any better anywhere else on the roster? No, they did not. As a matter of fact, they lost P.J. Tucker, and now they're very thin in the front court. Um, so from that standpoint, and especially when I think other teams in the Eastern Conference are going to be better this year, I think Boston will be better with the, all the additions they've made. I think Milwaukee will be better just by being healthy. I think Philadelphia will be better just because James Harden will have a better season, and I believe continuity will start to begin uh, 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 trying to integrate hard in that late in the season is just very difficult to do. I think giving him a full training camp and full season will go a long way towards helping them. The Eastern Conference is better, and the Miami Heat got worse. So that's going to move them down the list for me. So again, I, I, and someone said this in the YouTube comments uh, yesterday, and I, I got a little uh, chuckle out of it, but like someone said, like, I'm not really all that interested in Jason's numbers. I, uh, like I, the analysis is better. It's funny because that's the way I see it too. I'd be lying to you if I said that I care deeply about ranking, you know, the 10th and 11th and 12th best teams in the league in terms of the number of ranking. I am obviously more drawn towards 
the the uh, analysis portion and really diving into the film and seeing what the teams like to do, seeing what they're good at and what they're bad at. That's what interests me the most. But I do put a certain amount of effort in to where I rank teams, and I will attempt to have some kind of reasoning. And I wanted to give a little bit of background on why teams are where they were in that section of the list. So the Miami Heat last year were 53-29. and 29. They lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to Boston, and they had one Jimmy pull-up three in transition that had it gone in would have sent Miami in all likelihood to the NBA Finals, although Boston would have had a chance to take the lead on the other end. They finished the season regular season 12th in offense and 4th in defense. <clears throat> During the offseason, like we mentioned before, they lost P.J. Tucker to the Sixers. They re-signed Victor Oladipo, which I thought was good. I, I, I like Victor Oladipo a lot. Offensively, he's not nearly what he was when he was in Indiana. Uh, still isn't shooting the ball as well as he needs to to be a, a, a real shot creator, but defensively, he's still nearly as good as he used to be. And as a point of attack defender, that just brings a lot of value in the NBA. And so I thought it was a good bet from Miami, hoping that some of his shot creation stuff improves over the course of this season. And with what he brings defensively, I think he's a playoff player. I like Victor Oladipo. That was a smart re-signing. But he was on the floor in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, so it's not something that improves the roster. They drafted in their with their first round draft pick a uh, uh, big swing forward, uh, kind of like a um, you know he's a very very tall wing. I don't think he's big and strong enough to be uh, a big, but the, uh, Nikola Jovic is who they drafted. I think with the loss of of PJ Tucker, they'll end up needing him to play a lot in all likelihood. Um, you'll notice that as we start to look at the at the depth chart. So it's going to be really important for Heat culture to engage early on and. and get him ready to play NBA basketball. But I do not think that that is beyond the capabilities of the Miami Heat organization and beyond the capabilities of Eric Spolstra. I've said this before, but I view the Miami Heat as Warriors East. I think that they maximize their talent better than anybody in the Eastern Conference. I think Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the Eastern Conference. I think in, in terms of uh, taking what they get and getting the absolute most out of it, they are the best at that. So maybe they'll be able to maximize that. However, they do have legitimate talent deficiencies, and we will get into that as we get further into this show. So uh, looking at the depth chart, at the guard position, they have Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and Max Struess, although Max Struess is big and strong enough to guard wings. Uh, on the wing, they have Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Harrow, and Nikola Jovic. I'm calling him a wing because I don't think he'll be able to guard bigs. And the general rule of thumb in basketball is your position is who you can guard, not what you do on the offensive end of the floor. Um, bigs, uh, Bam Adebayo and Dwayne Dedman. They also have uh, Omer Yurt 7 and Orlando Robinson, but I don't view either of them as impactful players. Yurt 7 will probably have to play quite a bit if uh, with the loss of P.J. Tucker. They're probably going to have to go bigger than they're used to going. But at the end of the day, this is a team that's going to go down with Bam Adebayo at the five, and none of those other guys are going to play. So this is a team that is a little bit thin at the forward position, especially with size and strength with the loss of P.J. Tucker. My guess is at some point during this regular season, either in the buyout market or in the trade market, they will attempt to address that shortcoming. Um, looking at the offensive end of the four, Miami runs an incredibly diverse set of offensive sets. 
Um, I think they're the most diverse offense in the Eastern Conference by organization, just in terms of the the just the deep repertoire of things that they run. They run a ton of like Denver Nuggets esque dribble handoff stuff um, with Bam Adebayo operating out of the high post and top of the key. Uh, general idea there is guards are coming over the top and getting handoffs from Bam Adebayo. Guys are going to have to chase over the top because of the shooting ability that allows them to get downhill. If Bam Adebayo's man drops back to help on those drives, he can turn and face, and now he has an advantage. So they can get a lot of stuff out of that. They do a lot of like four high sets. We went over this yesterday when uh, when we were talking about Memphis, but four high sets. You have two two uh, players at the the high post, and you have two players on the extended wing, and then they run a lot of flex cuts out of that. So they'll have the guy at the high post run over and set a screen, or sometimes just stay, and then that wing will cut off of that downhill to get into the paint. They do that a lot with screening actions involving Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler because both of them screen really well and they're usually guarded by different positions, which allows one of them to get switches in a lot of cases. They also do a lot of clearing the side for Bam and Jimmy to run pick and roll. Pretty simple. Shooter at the top of the key, shooter on the wing, shooter in the left corner. Then they'll put Jimmy on the right side of the floor with Bam, run pick and roll. It almost always results in a switch, and then the two of them frequently go into post-ups from there. They do run a considerable amount of of post-ups with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. And then um, a lot of mismatch attacking in isolation, specifically with Jimmy Butler. They do not run a lot of isolations as a team, but Jimmy Butler himself still runs quite a bit, especially attacking mismatches. Didn't have a great season with that in the regular season last year, but as you guys saw in the saw in the postseason, he always takes it up a level and uh, can generate great stuff out of that. The majority of their offense is dribble handoffs and off-screen actions. The main reason for this is they lack legitimate shot creation. Outside of Jimmy Butler... They don't have another player on the team that can consistently create his own shot. They have guys that do okay in specific matchups and will put up decent efficiency numbers on really low volume because they're picky about it. But in terms of volume, the only player that isolates and does it well and frequently is Jimmy Butler. Because of that, they can't run an offense that is primarily predicated on attacking matchups. They have to run sets to get their guys an advantage. A lot of the guys on the roster, Kyle Lowry, even Max Struess, Gabe Gabe Vincent, Tyler Harrow, these are all guys that can attack with an advantage. They're good advantage extenders. They're good play finishers, but they're not guys that create that initial advantage. It's a big part of why, in spite of the fact that they're so well coached, in spite of the fact that their player development is so good, that they were the 12th best offense in the league last year. Their half-court offense ended up being disastrous for them against Boston, and it was something they had to overcome throughout that uh, throughout that specific series. One of the big reasons why that Boston series dragged out as long as it did to seven games was Boston running that stupid-ass drop coverage that I was criticizing them for the entire playoff run. It nearly got them beat against Miami, and it did get them beat against Golden State. I thought it was Ime Udoka's biggest mistake of that playoff run. But by, by running that drop coverage... It allowed Miami's weakness, which is shot creation, to go unchallenged. And, and that was why that series extended the way that it did. 
Um, they're in dribble handoff situations. They were second in frequency in the league, so they ran the second most dribble handoffs out of anybody in the NBA, and they were fourth in efficiency. So when you let them get to their dribble handoff offense, they will score p- pretty well. That's why switching is the best defense to run against a Miami offense. Um, it gives advantages to players that struggle to create advantages. Duncan, uh, um, uh, Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, Gabe Vincent. And, J- uh, and Jimmy Butler were all in the 70th percentile or better in dribble handoff situations, so they all did really well. Tyler Harrow was surprisingly inefficient. We're going to get to that later on in the show. And their off-screen offense, that was all. they were also the third most frequent off-screen uh, offense in the entire league. They were ninth in post-up frequency, 11th in post-up efficiency. Like I said, when they would clear the side for Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, Nine times out of ten, it would result in a switch, and they'd pull the ball out, and whichever player they thought had a better matchup would take them down to the block, and that was where they were getting that uh, type of offense. Jimmy and Bam combined for five and a half post-ups per game and scored at about one point per possession, which is really good for post-ups. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. You'll know when you get it. It'll say eBay, authenticity, guarantee. You'll feel it because when it comes to your feet, eBay has your back. Maybe it's that head-turning pair for hooping or a hot new collab. Whatever you're after, when you cop on eBay, you can trust that your kicks will be checked by experts, not just any expert, sneaker experts who live and breathe the culture. Real people with real hands-on authentication experience. That's when Blue Checkmark represents on our listing. eBay Authenticity Guarantee, meaning every inch, stitch, sole, logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. So when you finally step into those grill kicks, you'll realize the feeling is unlike any other. And with eBay Authenticity Guarantee, the feeling of real is always within reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Football season is underway, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with promo code Jason T. There are two bets that I really like this weekend. I really like the Saints at home against the Buccaneers. They're two-and-a-half-point underdogs. They've always had the Buccaneers number, especially at home. I think that's a game they're going to win. 
And then I know I said I was going to fade the Dallas Cowboys all season. And yes, the Dak Prescott injury does not look promising, but seven and a half is a huge line. So I will be on the Dallas Cowboys plus seven and a half this week against the Cincinnati Bengals. FanDuel is my favorite sportsbook app. It's safe. It's easy to use. It's easy to get your money out. And I really like that cash out feature, giving you the ability to take the winnings from your bet at a slight discount, just so that you avoid any sort of shenanigans that could happen in Garbage time. It's one of my favorite features. So sign up today with promo code Jason T for your no sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Um, they were 10th in ISO efficiency, but their volume was incredibly low. They only ran about six isolations per game, including 6.1 in the postseason. To give you some perspective, the Raptors, the Wolves, the Nets, the Bucks, the Mavs, and the Sixers all ran at least 10 or more isolations per game, some of them more than 15. So that they're an extremely low volume isolation team because they're picky about when they do it, but they were relatively efficient, slightly above average when they did so. They also pushed the ball in transition selectively. They were a very efficient transition team. They just didn't do it often. They were one of the slowest pace teams in the league. Some of that's to be expected because of the age of their roster and athleticism is not necessarily a strength. They do have great athletes on the team, guys like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, but in like Jimmy Butler's a little older, he's a little bit more of a strangle the pace type of forward, which I actually like. I like I prefer to strangle the pace because I think it throws other teams out of rhythm. But what Miami does really well, especially with their defense, by being forwardly aggressive, by playing passing lanes and being aggressive on ball handlers, it, for, it, it forces turnovers that allow you to push the ball in transition. They were 22nd in transition attempts, but 6th in transition efficiency. That's how it manifests when you're picky about when you, when you run, when you run when you have an advantage, rather than just running for the sake of running. They were only an okay pick-and-roll team, low in volume, low in efficiency. That's that's one of the biggest reasons why, and as we zoom out from them on the offensive end of the floor, and only Pat Riley knows what he offered, and only Danny Ainge knows whether or not he was really willing to consider it, but I was really surprised that Miami didn't go more all-in for Donovan Mitchell. He was a specific type of player that I thought would have been a really good fit for them, because of Bam's offensive versatility and what he could do as a ball screener. We talked a lot about this when we were doing the uh, um, the Utah Jazz stuff, or excuse me, the Donovan, Donovan Mitchell trade stuff and the, and the Cleveland Cavaliers stuff. Donovan Mitchell is one of the best volume pick-and-roll players in all of basketball. That would have been a really interesting dynamic to add to this team. He also did really well in isolation. So like, it was kind of a no-brainer to fix a very specific need on this roster. In addition to that, like Donovan Mitchell's biggest weakness is, def- is defense right now, right? And the Miami Heat are kind of famous for pulling the best out of each other in that regard. And so I thought it was, a, it, was a, it was the perfect type of player for them to go after, a player that I thought was somewhat achievable, and it just didn't pan out. And again, like only Pat Riley knows uh, how close he came to actually pulling that off or whether it was something that he was passive about or not. I know there are lots of complications as it comes to the CBA for that kind of thing too, but that would have been a player that I really would have liked to see with Miami. Moving on to the defensive end of the floor. So they're a very, very switch-heavy team. Um, This is to be expected. I've talked a lot about modern basketball. And if you guys have heard me talk about this, I've, I've discussed that 
in my opinion, the most effective modern offense strategy is five out because of how difficult it is to cover ground in space and the improved ball handling, shooting, and decision-making around the league. If you can really spread a team and make them make multiple defensive rotations, you can get great stuff out of it. That's something I believe very strongly in. On the defensive end of the floor, I think that the best strategy is switching. We talked a lot about this. You, there, there's pros and cons to it. You, the downsides are is you tend to give up rebounding mismatches. You tend to give up isolation mismatches. There are downsides. Guys will make shots over the top. Guys will get offensive rebound putbacks. But the flip side of that is it requires a great deal of communication. And if as long as you communicate well, it takes away physical exertion. It's hard physically to fight over the top of the screens. You get beat up, especially over the course of a series. Even great chase over the top of screen teams, teams like Boston, were eventually dying on screens because it's just really hard to do. It wears on you physically. It changes the exertion to something mental. So as long as you're focused and as long as you've put in the rep, uh, the amount of reps in practice, you can get good at switching so that you don't have to exert yourself physically. You just are paying attention in terms of, uh, in terms of mental uh, exertion. And then uh, most importantly, it stagnates the opponent. When you switch actions, it neutralizes offensive sets, especially, again, like we said, if you do it right and if you do it well. As soon as you neutralize offensive sets, as soon as you neutralize pick and rolls, it turns teams into isolation teams. You know, in that first round series against Atlanta, for instance, and you Miami Heat fans probably remember this very well, almost from the opening uh, tip, there was Trey Young just didn't know what to do. He's coming off these ball screens, and instead of switching, Bam Adebayo is just running out on him. And when he runs out on him, all of a sudden, he's, he's just kind of looking around like, okay, what am I going to do? Isolate Bam out of bio? Like, I'm not going to get around him. I'm going to shoot a crazy step back three. And, and it turned Atlanta's offense into the mud and slowed them down. They lost their rhythm, and they really fell apart. And Trey Young had a nightmare series. I'm a huge believer in switching. And now there are a couple of different things. You need to have the right personnel, right? Like, Bam out of bio and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, he's one of the best switching bigs in all of basketball. Personnel helps. They're guards. Guys like Max Struess and Kyle Lowry can guard up a position. Like, they're not going to get bullied by big forwards, at least not very easily. So that helps. So you got to have the right personnel, and you also have to do it well. Like, we talk a lot about schemes on the show, different offensive sets, you know, floor spacing, different pick-and-roll concepts, and then on the defensive end of the floor, we talk about different pick-and-roll coverages, different defensive concepts. None of that matters if you don't do it well. A, 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 a switching defense that is run like shit isn't going to get stops. You know, like If you have really good spacing in terms of where your players are positioned on the floor, but none of them can shoot and dribble, then you don't really have spacing. You know what I mean? So like execution is also a big part of it. But I do think that switching is the best modern defensive concept and I think it's really interesting and smart that Pat Riley has built the roster in a manner that makes them capable of running that type of defensive scheme. And it's their head coach, who's very forward-thinking and ahead of the times, who's leaning very strongly into that defensive concept. You know, still to this day, even with as successful switching as Ben, 
even with what the Houston Rockets in 2018 did to the most talented roster ever in the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals, by switching everything, even with all of that, teams are still slow to adopt it. And the main reason why is drop coverage is just easier. It's easier on your bigs. It's easier to use in the regular season. It's an innings eater. It's erring on the side of protecting the paint and giving up pull-up jump shooting. It's just the easy way out. And kudos to the Miami Heat and to Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and everybody on that roster for being more willing to do the more difficult job because it translates better to playoff success. And again, this all comes down to why Miami is so much better at maximizing their talent than the other teams in the league. Um, but again, they're one of the, the more switch-heavy teams in the league, even in pick and roll. Um, Bam Adebayo, like I mentioned earlier, he's the guy who unlocks all of that. He's not quite as gifted as a rim protector as like an Anthony Davis or as a you know Rudy Gobert or Giannis Antetokounmpo, but he's actually better than all three of those guys switching out onto the perimeter. He's more mobile and just has better instincts on how to move his feet against a perimeter player that kind of makes him into the ultimate switching forward because he can functionally play rim protector while also playing the role in a five-out switching scheme. He unlocks everything that they do defensively, and it's why Bam Adebayo is as uh, effective a basketball player as he is. Um, the Miami Heat are, are big on forward aggression, uh, picking up ball handlers you know, sooner than other teams are willing to at least when they cross half court in many situations in full court scenarios. Uh, I, it, it seems to me that Spolstra seems to prefer kind of attacking as soon as they cross half court because you can't use retreat dribbles at that point. They had a lot of success against Boston with that. They were seventh in points off of turnovers this year. That tells you all you need to know. They understand that their weakness is in the half court offensively and they use that as an opportunity to to understand their weakness and push the advantage in transition as much as possible. We talked about that a lot with Memphis yesterday as well. I'll give you an example. So in that Boston Celtics series, the Miami Heat got utterly obliterated in the half court. They averaged 0.86 points per possession against Boston in the half court. On the other end of the floor, when they were in the half court defensively, Boston was getting 0.97 points per possession in the half court. That's a, the equivalent to a plus 11 net rating if the game stayed in the half court. That's dominant. That would in most seasons be the best net rating in all of basketball in the aggregate for the whole season. So with as dominant as Boston was over Miami in the half court, how did that series drag to seven games? How did they have a chance to win it at the end? They did it in transition. They had 58 steals in that series. And they averaged 1.31 points per possession pushing in transition off of steals. So again, like there are many facets to basketball. And it obviously the core facet is half-court shot creation and half-court defense. And it's very important for you to be good in those areas. But there are all these other ancillary parts of the game of basketball that you need to be great at. Whether that's, you know, taking care of the basketball, avoiding turnovers. Take a look at the Boston Celtics. Whether that's squeezing out fringe possessions, offensive rebounds, pushing in transition, the reverse of that on defense, securing defensive rebounds, transition defense. Boston was a great half-court defense. 
they were a horrific transition defense because they would frequently fall down and beg for foul calls on the other end of the floor rather than prioritizing getting back in transition. It's kind of like special teams in football or like manufacturing runs in baseball by stealing bases and sacrifice bunts, sacrifice flies, things along those lines. You know, in the core facets of the game, winning is part of it, but there are a lot of other elements to the game and the best teams are always the teams that maximize the fringe elements of the game. And Miami is a team that has always maximized those fringe elements. Uh, last thing I wanted to say about the defensive end of the floor with Miami is uh, the uh, defensive adjustments and the power that Eric Spolster has in a playoff series to win in the chess match. So I'll give you just two examples. Uh, and, and this is a big part of why they have such a, a high playoff upside. Um, Boston is a weak ball handling team, as we all know. As that series progressed, um, Eric Spolstra was more intent on pressuring the basketball and gambling more, even if at the risk of getting out of position and giving up baskets on the other end. I thought it was a really smart adjustment from Eric Spolstra because it actually caused Boston to lose their head for extended stretches in that series. And it's a huge part of why it extended as long as it did. That was an adjustment from Eric Spolstra. Look at the Philadelphia 76ers series. Joel Embiid, they didn't have anybody who could really guard him straight up, not even Bam Adebayo. He's too big, right? But one of the things they were doing that I thought was really, really smart was they were fronting Joel Embiid and bringing backside help. And when they did, it made it so that Philly just kind of passed the ball around on the perimeter and didn't know how to get it into Embiid. And that kind of psyched Embiid out. And don't get me wrong, injuries played a role. He ended up getting hurt in that series, or in might have been the previous series. It was Yeah, he got hurt in the previous series against Toronto. But I know his head wasn't 100% in it because of the orbital fracture or whatever. But I also think that Eric Spolster did a really nice job of finding out how to frustrate Joel Embiid through ball denial. And it was a really, really smart scheme he used to do so. Fronting the post is difficult. It's a very physically taxing job. And it also requires really sound rotations on the back end because you're obviously giving up the -the over-the-top lob pass. And when you're offering help on the backside, it also opens up the skip pass. But their rotations were so sound around that that it did a pretty damn good job of disrupting Philly's offense and towards the end of the series it kind of came down to James Harden and his ability to create shots which obviously he wasn't able to do so credit to Eric Spolstra that's a huge wild card for them in any playoff series is that he's usually the smartest guy on the bench on both benches and his ability to make those adjustments and make other teams feel uncomfortable is a huge weapon in Miami's in Miami's toolbox. So moving on to the best case scenario. So, uh, and before we do that, I kind of want to summarize really, really quick. This is an excellent defensive team that is built for playoff basketball. They are stout on the perimeter. You know, Max Struess and Kyle Lowry are strong and can guard up a position. And then Bam has uh, flexibility to switch out of the center position. So as a team, they're constructed for playoff defense and especially with switching. That's great. Offensively, they maximize their talent with lots of scheme diversity. They run tons of different sets. They are not repetitive. They are not predictable. They're very good at creating advantages for their guards who are bad at creating advantages for themselves. But this is a weak ball handling team that struggles to create advantages against defense that can get ahead of their sets. 
especially when teams don't run drop coverage against them and are willing to switch, it forces them to rely on shot creation and it's not a strength of theirs. The only superpower they have that can overcome this is Jimmy Butler and his ability to play above and beyond even his own capability in a playoff setting. He, th- this is why I thought they needed Donovan Mitchell. This is why I thought they should have been more aggressive on that front. But Jimmy Butler, let's say they stay healthy with Eric Spolcher and what he does to maximize them on the offensive and defensive end of the floor. If Jimmy Butler can play as, uh, to, the, to the highest end of his capability like he did in that playoff run, they're capable of beating anybody. All of these weaknesses I've described were true last year too. And they came one shot away from making it to the NBA Finals. Now, I think they would have lost soundly to Golden State, but make no mistake, like they absolutely have a puncher's chance because of what Jimmy Butler is capable of. He has demonstrated that that will always put them in this mix. If they stay healthy and Jimmy Butler stays healthy and he gets hot, they can beat anybody. Therefore, they are a contender. End of story for me. That is their best case scenario. But their worst case scenario... Health can rear its ugly head again. Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry both broke down towards the end of the season. They were playing, but they were limited. Jimmy was in really rough physical shape in the middle of that Boston Celtics series. And the loss of P.J. Tucker makes them really thin in the front court. Um, You're probably going to have to play Jimmy Butler a lot at the four now. I hope that they address that this off uh, during the season, either in the trade market or in the buy-in market, by beefing up that forward position. Otherwise, they need Nikola Jovic to be ready, or, or Jovic or Jovic. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. They need him to be ready to play, and I'm just not sure that he's going to be. And also, I think he's a little too thin to be able to guard bigger forwards in the league. This team is, with their lack of depth, they are one severe injury away from basically being a first-round exit or worse. Like, if Kyle Lowry gets hurt, it greatly limits their perimeter size and switchability. Same goes for Jimmy Butler. Same goes for Bam Adebayo. They're just kind of heavily exposed on that front. I don't think they can weather an injury. That, to me, has moved them down the list. The biggest X factor on this team is Tyler Harrow. The Miami Heat desperately need him to take a significant leap as a shot creator. Now, I know when you look at the numbers, and Miami Heat fans are going to want to say this, Hey, he averaged 21 points per game last year on 56% true shooting. How is that not a legitimate shot creator? Well, you have to dig deeper into it. The vast majority of Tyler Harrow's offensive success came in spot-up situations. He is amazing attacking closeouts, one of the very best in the league. Why? Because he's a knockdown three-point shooter, and he's very good at continuing that advantage into the lane because he could shoot a pull-up 15-footer, he could shoot floaters in the lane, and he's athletic enough to get all the way to the rim, right? So in spot-up situations, he's one of the very best in the league. He was in the 93rd the 93rd percentile for spot-up possessions out of all NBA players. That's excellent. He averaged 1.23 points per spot-up possession. That's freaking incredible. That's where he excelled. But he was either average to below average in everything else, Below average in isolations, you know, average to below average in dribble handoffs, average to below average coming off of screens. In any situation where they were actually running plays for him, he wasn't producing at a high level. The vast majority of his offensive creation that was efficient was coming out of spot-up situations. The scoring production is unassailable, but in order for this team to have a real playoff ceiling that can contend with the Boston's and the Golden States, and the Clippers, and the Bucks of the world, they need Tyler Harrow 
to get to the point where he can create his own shot. They also need him to be able to stay on the floor defensively. He's a little bit more of a defensive liability right now than the Miami Heat would like for him to be. So from that standpoint, if this team desperately needs a high-level shot creator and they desperately need a high-level shot creator creator that can stay on the floor, Tyler Harrow is the answer to that question, but he's only going to be able to stay on the floor if he can defend, and he only could be a high-level shot creator if he learns how to succeed out of one of those situations. Office screens, dribble handoffs, isolations. He needs to get to the point where he can create his own shot. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We will be back tomorrow with number nine. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.